uh, format show uh, a little while ago were the like top Klingon episodes, right? Which is a great idea. And then tonight we're going to talk about the first lady of Star Trek, Majel Barrett. I mean, you're, you're putting together some really great content, man. I just feel we need to stop and just thank you because it's really been uh, a great time to be uh, part of the show. So thank you, brother, for all the stuff. And I know clapping will not... come through my mic, but just clap, 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 clap. What do they do with that? What are they in the barristers, right? In England, what do they do? They rap on the table and like they all, everybody just knocks, right? So with a theater thing where you just you just sort of snap and just like just snap, man. Pick up in the microphone, though. Or, or, or I know that uh, I know Uncle Jim likes it when we all break wind simultaneously. Ooh, I can, I can work on that. Give me on give me three, like everyone. On seconds. three, ready, go. Can I just hit the mic? <laughs> Mute button. Don't fail me now. We're on call because we're talking about Patrick Stewart's new book, uh, his uh, his audio book for me and Charles, and I'm not sure about Eric. Eric, audio book or or did you read it? Or uh, I audio booked that man one man. Uh, yeah, so Charles I. was the first, but uh, I was the second. And I, it's that's the way to listen to that book or take so it out. I would say yeah. on Monday and talking about Brian Blessing, I was completely, totally blown away when I found out that he was best friends with Patrick Stewart and that they knew each other, worked together, and he even mentioned that when he was mentioning him. I'm reading the book and I'm thinking to myself. Well, I'm listening to the book, and I'm like, wait a minute. Brian Blessing? The only Brian Blessing that I know is Prince Bolton from Flash Gordon. <laughs> and then, of course, Patrick Stewart, exactly what he said. He said, oh, he would, He went on to be in Flash Gordon, and, and my, I was just, like, blown away. Yeah, Brian Blessed, uh, Brian Blessed oh, is the God. best, dude. If you've never seen it, um, uh, a bunch of years ago, he did, like uh, – Kenneth Branagh did the best adaptation ever of like Henry V. Um, I, I'm sure Eric's seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but uh, it's just it's the best war movie in Elizabethan times you'll ever see. But Brian Blessed has a huge part, and he is terrifying. He's a really mm-hmm. he just look he looks at you wrong. You think he's gonna like come to the screen and pop your head off. I mean, he's just a, he's such a charismatic presence. Really cool. So fun stuff. Yeah, and he he knows Patrick Stewart, and they went to school together. How cool could could that be? And we're going to oh, talk God. more about Imagine that. those two in a bar. <laughs> so you guys want to tune in. And uh, next Thursday, if you guys – do we have any Andorian fans out there, Eric? Uh yeah, uh I love Andorians, particularly Shran, my man. But uh, I've played an Andorian in Star Trek Adventures before, and I'm not going to lie – I like their culture and their whole, like, four-gender thing. I think it's pretty cool. Well, we don't have Shran the man. Uh, we have uh, security officer Thon the Mon. <laughs> woo but, uh, I'm so excited about so that. We're going to be talking to Greg Sargent, who was yep. an Andorian security officer in Star Trek Enterprises, first season episode, The Andorian Incident. So if you guys have questions about those testicles waving around on his head, you want to call on Thursday. It's going to be a lot of fun. So before we get too far, though, I want to introduce Eric. He's my other truck spurt from Portland. How you doing, Eric? Uh, Jim, I am doing really well. As a person who gets excited when other people get excited, I'm practically quivering with anticipation about these these new toys that uh, you guys are talking about. I just It looks 
It looks very exciting, and I, I may pick a favorite uh, to purchase. You know, I'm not a big toy collector, but I, I tend to, like, pick a line and then and choose one that I really like. For example, I picked Zero from the Star Trek Prodigy uh, figures because I also collect robots. So um, I'm excited to just, you know, hear you guys talk about that stuff, and I get excited when you get excited. So, yeah. And tonight oh we get talk about Majel, you guys. I like when I was doing this, so I felt like I knew a lot about Majel. And then I started doing research and I found out about other mm-hmm. things about Majel and I got super excited. Cause, so, yeah, let's share. <laughs> Look at the size of that thing, Paul. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, I try to, I try to stay in shape, Jim. <laughs> he, he, even, he even has the fabled ice uh, jewel of Fridgeair. <laughs> Which wow! I'm gonna have. There to you go. This. If you're a Flash yeah, Gordon absolutely. fan, man, you got to get this guy. This guy looks. I will tell you, as a person who has not seen the movie, this guy looks hilarious, and I love it, and I want to see the movie just because I want to see what this guy's part is. Oh, dude! <laughs> oh. If you want, if you watch that movie this weekend, you'll just you'll just right. you'll have it's a done. huge grit on your face. You'll love it. I'll do it's, it. It's serious <laughs> fun. Well, let me ask fun. you: Have you have you watched Ted? Oh yeah, I've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Flash Flash Gordon's in that movie too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Well, I will tell you that I have. I am Queen is one of my favorite bands of all time, and so the fact that they have a that whole like Flash Ah song, uh, that's enough to get me interested in it with a little bit of goosing from friends. So thank you. We went to see a band called uh, Almost Queen, and they did every Queen song you could ever think of. And I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I wasn't expecting it, but all of a sudden the light started flashing, red, yellow, red, yellow, and you heard dun 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 nice. flash, ah, <laughs> and I went crazy. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> the whole thing. It was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> It doesn't take much to impress me, obviously. <laughs> but, anyways, I digress. That's okay. That means that you're that means that you're a gentleman who enjoys life, Jim. And I want to hang out with people who enjoy life. <laughs> yeah, a really good uh, a good character trait. I think we all share is that we're all it's, very easily excited. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For example, by this conversation. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, big, big, lovely. Big wings pull me right in. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim, you are oh, the wind boy. beneath our wings. Let's do uh, it. <laughs> uh, okay. So, guys, every week we start off the show with our fan shout outs. And that's where we have an opportunity to say thank you to you for supporting us. And how do you become a fan? You head over to our Facebook page. And the easiest way to get to our Facebook page is to go to trektalking.com. And when you go there, you'll see a little uh, blue F in the corner. Click on that Facebook logo, boom, takes you right to our page. The very first post on the page, you'll see pinned to the top, live long and prosper, saying, hey, where are you guys listening from? And just just tell us. And uh, you know, Emoji, because there's so many there. Emojis catch my eye, you know, I'm easily. Wings, wings will catch my eye, flag, that kind of thing. And every week I'll, I will pick 20 lucky listeners, and you'll be immortalized ever forever is not only a star trek fan but a fan of trek talking so when this podcast is bouncing through the universe for 
for all of eternity, will be immortalized. Isn't that exciting? I think so. All right, Aaron, get us started with our fan shout-outs this week. I absolutely do. Our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to top fan Fernando Higa, who's saying hello to us from Lima, Peru. Beautiful Lima, uh, capital of so many things, including uh, food, I believe, uh, one of their big things. I know them for their beautiful architecture as well, but uh, top fan status for Fernando means that he interacts with us more than your average fan on our Facebook page, and we always appreciate that. Fernando sends us a little live long and prosper symbol, and I say peace and long life to you, brother. Thanks for saying hi. Also saying hello this week to top fan Philip A. Gilcase, who says uh, that they're from Minibar. Minibar, and I will tell you that I spent 10 minutes Googling places that I thought might be called Minibar, and then I realized that Philip was messing with me. <laughs> He's actually from Southampton in the UK, but that's okay because I appreciate your sense of humor, gentlemen, or gentle sir. So thank you, Philip uh, A. Gilkis, for saying hello to us. You are also a top fan, so we really super appreciate your support. Also saying hello this week to Zuzana Hanaskova, who's saying hello to us from Ostrava in the Czech Republic. And Susanna, while you are not the first person to say hello from the Czech Republic, we don't get a lot of you. So thank you so much for being part of a small but certainly mighty group in that awesome country. Uh, we really, really appreciate people who are listening to us in, uh, in places like that where maybe the support is just a little bit lower than average. So thank you, Susanna, for saying hello to us. And uh, peace and long life to you as well. And finally on my list, I have top fan... Rafe Hedrath. Rafe Hedrath is saying hello to us from Kukrada in the Netherlands. And I, I looked up this joint because I always think of the Netherlands as being a place that, you know, it's a country that 50% of the country is underwater or below sea level rather, not necessarily underwater because they have an amazing series of levees and stuff. But uh, I was wondering where this place was. And it turns out that Kirkrada is about as far as you can get uh, from the ocean in Holland. It's kind of in that little part of Holland that's sandwiched between Belgium and Germany. So thanks, Ray, for saying hello to us from there and for educating me on a little-known part of Holland uh, in my own lexicon of knowledge. So uh, top fan for you as well, meaning you love us and we love you. Charles, I know you want to say hi to a top fan, don't you? Oh, I definitely do, Eric. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's welcome top fan Joseph Tuscano from Warsaw, India, or Indiana. Welcome Richard Piper from Youngstown, Iowa, Ohio, who sends us a U.S. flag and the planet Earth. Be from the USA and on the planet Earth. <laughs> That's where Ohio is. <laughs> Believe it or not. Last time I checked. <laughs> <laughs> By oh, I, I think you found it. We might get a future Youngstown on Mars, so we got to be prepared. That's true. That's very true. Actually, that's called Jamestown, I believe, uh, if I'm getting my references correct in this group. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> a little for all mankind there for oh. you guys. Oh, welcome to Jamie Martinez from Bakersfield, California, just south of Vegas. I always pass through Bakersfield, heading to Los Angeles and Southern California. And a big welcome to top fan Pauline Valley from Maine. 
Uh, probably chilly around Jim, so it's probably chilly in Maine, too. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But, so, David, who's on your list? Yeah, hello, hello, hello. I'd like to welcome Michael Cooper from Westminster, Maryland. Ah, okay, next one is a uh, top fan, Lily Burnett, or Bennett, from Norfolk, Virginia. Hello, hello. And next on the list is Jamie Fenem- Fenema from Illinois. Uh, last on my list is Kevin Shield from Bonnie Lake, Washington. Welcome, everybody. Paul, who's on your list? All right, David. Thank you so, so much. Now, uh, I know that when I say the name of a place called Cumbria, it sounds like something mm. I would make up if I was trying to, like, be lascivious, <laughs> right? Where's your girlfriend from? Cumbria? Classic I mean, ball. it just does classic not, ball. you know, I mean, the classic <laughs> ball, right? But no, no, friends. Cumbria is a historical ancient place. It is a ceremonial county in northwest Beautiful. England bordering the Scottish council areas of Dumfries and Galloway, all right? Mm-hmm. And it is a very, very amazing place with a lot of cool lakes. So mistake my nonsense for factual stuff. And we are here to say hello to our good friend, Roy Fleming, who's from Cumbria and has the uh, Union Jack flying proudly next over there. So please forgive my silliness, Roy. Um, we admire your area uh, and where you live as well. <laughs> this came out so wrong. Um, but it's great to have you be part of our family here on Drunk Talking. And somehow a top fan has made it on my list as well. And uh, I'm, I, this guy was named by his parents, apparently Gil de Gamesh. So uh, I'm getting a little bit of a, a sense that, that might be a, a nom de guerre or a nom de plume perhaps, but I, it's not my place to judge. All I know is that Gil is reaching out to us and he's a top fan. Top fan all the way down in Talagante, Chile. There, the flag is flying Talagante, I think I'm, maybe I need a little remedial Duolingo stuff going on here for this one. But Gil Gamash, wonderful to hear from you. It's great to know that you're out there. Thanks for being a fan. And we also have our friend uh, across the ocean there in Croatia, flag proudly unfurled. Jurika Mandik is saying hello to us from Croatia. See, we have fans all over the world. And just over there, across a couple of borders, not far away from Eureka, it is our friend H.A. Ozuduru. H.A. Uh, says that I am Turkish, southwest Turkish, flag flying proudly right next door to the live long and prosper sign. So we are an international community, and we're all united by our love and friendship for all things Star Trek. And back to Uncle Jim we go. And I'm going to spin the globe and bring it right back here the United States of America, and I'm actually going to go down to the Big Apple, New York City, the city that never sleeps, and we're going to say hello and thank you to Susan Kingston Yo. and then we're going to swing down to Colorado, and we're going to say hello and thank you to Melissa McCray, and we're going to go to Minneapolis and say hello and thank you to David Bergwald, and then we're going to come all the way back to Roxbury, New Jersey. And we're going to say hello and thank you to J.J. Becker. We appreciate each and every one of you guys. We're so happy to have you aboard and be members of our Star Trek family. And with that, we're going to move on to our Star Trek birthdays. See what happens when Uncle Jim gets 
Tonight, we're going to remember six members of our Star Trek community who have gone before us, uh, all who made a great impact on the franchise. The first is actor Fritz Weaver, uh, born January 19, 1926. He played Kovat in the DS9 second season episode, Tribunal. Uh, Fritz served in the civilian public service as a conscientious objector back in the World War II days. Uh, And then after that, he broke into acting in the 1950s. Uh, He won some awards back in the days, including Tony's and Best Actor Awards. In fact, he won a Tony for playing Best Actor in his play performance as Jernome Malley in Robert Morosco's Child's Play. But perhaps his most memorable role was that of doomed German-Jewish patriarch Dr. Josef Weiss in the Watershed TV miniseries Holocaust from 1978, for which he was nominated for an Emmy Award as outstanding lead actor in a limited series. So Fritz Weaver, thank you so much for your contributions to Star Trek and other franchises along the way. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday as well to actor Gino Silva. Gino Silva, born January 20th, 1948, played the Romulan Senator Vrax in the Enterprise four-season episodes United and the Enar. He also played Carlos the Barge Captain in The Lost World, Jurassic Park. I'm sure you've heard of that movie. Also played the mute gunman at the end uh, of Scarface. Remember the guy, the skull from that 1983 movie? Yeah, he's the one. He's the one who actually fires the the last shot in the final shootout of the movie. Uh, He also appeared in the action movie A Man Apart and guest starred in uh, other things like J.J. Abrams' Alias along the way. So happy birthday to Gino Silva. Happy birthday as well to actor Seymour Castle. Seymour Castle, born January 22nd, 1935, was a veteran actor who played Hester Delt in the Next Generation second season episode, The Child. Castle was nominated for an Academy Award for his supporting role in 1968's Faces, which of course was directed by John Cassavetes. He appeared in several other films by the same director, most notably 1971's Minnie and Mouskowitz, in which he had the lead role. He has over 200 credits on his IMDb. Uh, Most are, of course, for acting and things like that. But he does have a credit as a cinematographer. And it was kind of interesting because I tried to dive into this a little bit and I couldn't find too much information. But it seems that at some point in his career, he actually got to interview Alfred Hitchcock. And some of that footage was used in a French film, which I'm not going to attempt (laughs) the name of because my French is terrible, but I think it's kind of cool that he sort of had that one little non-acting credit in there and it caused me to go down a rabbit hole. He was prized by many independent directors for two main things, his positive nature and uh, perhaps his facetious declaration that he'd be in any independent film for the price of a plane ticket if he liked the script. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like the kind of guy I could hang out with. 
I'm not going to stop with Seymour Castle because you may or may not know that this is the man who actually gave one of the most famous guitarists of all time his nickname. Did you know that Castle was responsible for giving his young friend Saul Hudson the nickname Slash as Hudson moved uh, a lot as a child? So he called him Slash because he was kind of like ADHD, I guess. If you don't know who Slash is, you should probably look up bands like Guns N' Roses, Velvet Revolver. Uh, things like that. So uh, Seymour Castle, your reach is far and wide. We do miss you. We lost you back in 2019. Happy birthday as well to Richard Evans, uh, born January 23rd. He's the actor who played Isak in the TOS second season episode, Patterns of Force. Began his career back in 1958 and has appeared in over 80 television productions uh, in his career. All the classics from back in the day, like Gunsmoke and The Fugitive and things like that. Uh, he also wrote and directed and acted in an independent film called Shadow of Rain back in 2007. Um, perhaps uh, most interestingly, at the very end of his career and his life, actually, in 2018, he published an autobiographical book called Faz Kills of Re Recollections and Reminiscence about his family history, Hollywood, and his own battle with cancer, um, a book that I am... I'm kind of interested in checking out. Uh, we lost Richard Evans back in 2021. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday as well to Gregory Sierra, born January 25th, 1937, the American actor who played N-Tech. That's right. You know that, Cardassian, in the DS9 third season episode, Second Skin, one of those awesome ones. But if you don't know him from Star Trek, or if that doesn't ring a bell, most assuredly you know him as Detective Sergeant Chano Amaguela on Barney Miller, or maybe Verger on 1970's Beneath the Planet of the Apes. This guy was all over the place. Uh, best known also for his recurring role on the comedy series Sanford and Son, if you, if you remember Julio Fuentes from that that show. Yeah, he's that guy. He was also a regular on Soap as anti-communist revolutionary El Puerco, if you remember that guy. <laughs> he was a regular on the action drama series Miami Vice back in the day and has been in a couple movies, including Towering Inferno from 1974. So Gregory Sierra, happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to you. And last, but certainly not least on our list is one of the big three, Jackson DeForest Kelly. That's right, DeForest Kelly, you know who he is, born January 20th, 1920. We lost him back in 1999. He was famous for his role as Bones McCoy on TOS. Uh, went, you know, TOS, animated series, the movies. He even appeared as a 137-year-old Admiral McCoy on Next Generation's uh, pilot episode, Encounter at Farpoint. It's hard to kind of summarize quickly the influence that this guy had on Star Trek. I feel like uh, it's, it's, it's incalculable. He's technically our third doctor, but it's the first one that we actually got to see, I think. No, second one we got to see in canon uh, back in the day. He was born in Atlanta, Georgia, had that great Southern accent, born during the Great Depression, and got his start uh, in radio, um, and then served during World War II, moved into acting and actually became part of uh, a unit who uh, produced uh, videos uh, for the military, which was kind of an, an interesting thing, but it allowed him to use his talents and also be part of the military at the same time. 
He played a doctor, which I thought was interesting, for the very first time in a 1962 episode of Bonanza. Also starred another Star Trek doctor, John Hoyt. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I thought that was kind of a cool uh, tie in there. In 1964, Kelly was on top of writer-producer John Roddenberry's list of actors for the role of the doctor in The Cage, but... Robert Butler suggested veteran actor John Hoyt for the role instead. So that was the first time that Kelly got passed over for the role. The same year, Roddenberry wanted Kelly to replace Hoyt for the second Trek pilot where no one has gone, no man has gone before. However, he was again overruled by the director, James Goldstone, who wanted Paul Fix for the role, hence our second doctor. Finally, in 1966, Roddenberry could actually cast Kelly as Leonard McCoy in the regular series, starting with the Corbomite maneuver, uh, and the rest is history. So uh, uh, I think one of the cool stories that I love about uh, Bones McCoy slash DeForest Kelly was that a few months prior to his appearance on uh, TNG, uh, Encounter at Farpoint, he expressed skepticism concerning the show. He said, it's a mystery to me why we're doing it, he remarked. I assume Paramount thinks that they can hold on to the Star Trek phenomena. There's no doubt we can't go on forever, so they're trying a way to keep it going, but there's only one Star Trek, and that's ours. And, uh, you know, Mr. Kelly, much love and respect, but I'm so glad that in this case you were wrong and that the phenomena has continued throughout time and you are a most integral part of that, and I'm just so excited uh, to celebrate your birthday today. Uh, born in 1920, so he would be 104 years old this week if he was alive. Happy birthday, DeForest Kelly. And that does it My for name our is McCoy. Guys. There it I'm is. a doctor. What am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? I jumped every time a light came on around here. I'd end up talking to myself. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. You're a healer. There's a patient. That's an order. I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. Look, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. Spock, give me a hand. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not an engineer. No, you're an engineer. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. You keep saying that. Are you a doctor, aren't you? I don't know. Absolutely classic. Okay, we're going to continue on with our birthdays. I want to say happy birthday to Sash Sturga, the actress, dancer, and singer, who appeared as the holographic representation of Zora in Star Trek Short Treks episode Calypso. Absolutely. If you haven't seen that, what are you waiting for? Run, don't walk to Paramount Plus and watch Calypso. It's outstanding. Uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Mia Kirshner, who played Amanda Grayson on Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I was so glad when they crossed her over from Discovery to Strange New Worlds. And this, this last one on my list, uh, I, I don't know what to say about this person. Um, I've known this person for a few years now, since uh, pre-COVID, and uh, we've gone to some shows together, and I've talked to her great length on the phone, obviously, because she happened to be a co-host, well, actually, 
I want to say that I was her co-host because the Leslie Hoffman did a podcast with me called Stunt Treks, and we did it for about a year. And we talked about everything, including Planet of the Apes, which I was glad we had a birthday tonight from Planet of the Apes. And you can find all of those podcasts at trektalking.com. Now, uh, Leslie is a stunt woman, actress, and stunt coordinator who worked as a regular performer on Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager. Uh, She was also a stunt double for Roxanne Biggs Dawson, who you guys probably know as Bellana Torres. Uh, If you're a horror fan, though, however, you'll get a chance to see Leslie, the Leslie Hoffman, in all of her glory in the original, the original, Nightmare on Elm Street, and uh, you can see her waving Freddy Krueger's claws around. She gets to wear the claws and the sweater. And every time when I get an opportunity, I like to play this clip. It's a short clip, but uh, this is Leslie Hoffman from A Nightmare on Elm Street. And guess what, guys? We are very lucky because we have the one and only awesome. Uh, How are you doing tonight, Leslie? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I I can't complain. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, all of your time working on Star Trek, did you ever get a chance? to work with Majel Barrett. Um, hmm. We may have worked on an episode together, but never in a scene together. Okay, cool. So you, you don't know, have I've any... had people ask questions like something like that. You know, have you ever worked with a certain actor, and 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 like you say, is that uh, even on Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, actually Robert Englund was in New York City the day that we shot the scene that I'm in. So, so people have asked me, you know, have you ever, well, or you must have, what was it like working with Robert? And it's like, Oh, I really didn't get to work with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Leslie, while I've got you on the phone, what was the favorite actor that you got a chance to work with? Who was your favorite? And it doesn't have to be Star Trek, just through your career. Well, like you said, um... Absolutely, Ricardo Montalban. Uh, yeah. I, and again, I didn't work with him on uh, the Star Trek movies. I worked with him on Fantasy Island 
And then several years later, I worked with him on Naked Gun. Now, I did work with him, you know. <laughs> uh, well, no, I take that back. I lied. See, I'm making up stories already. Uh, it's just that I was on Fantasy Island a lot that, you know, I was on the set with him and and we talked and I mean he was the most amazing person I mean to have a, such a career in in the uh, 40s and 50s he was billed as the Latin lover in, in feature films and uh, you know it wasn't until the uh, let's see, I would say the 70s, that that he really made his mark in television and then and then back to feature films again. But uh, uh, he was he was so friendly to everybody. I don't know if he had a photographic memory or something like that. But like you say, we worked on Fantasy Island and I walked on this years later. I walked on the set of uh, Naked Gun, and he comes up to me and says, "Hello, Leslie." I mean, wow. it's like <laughs> my yeah, my jaw hit the floor. I mean, I I couldn't believe someone of his prestige, whatever you want to call it. That that he would remember the name of a low, even though you call me the Leslie Hoffman, that he would remember the name of a stun woman. Wow. Uh, Leslie, yeah. just as a side note, what kind of car did he drive? Oh. <laughs> Well, are you bringing up that other story? Is that uh, uh, one of the cars I drove uh, during the time of Fantasy Island? Uh, I forget if it was a Toyota Corona or Corolla. That I, it's been long enough that I forgot. But I had, I had done this paint job on the car so the body was white and they put I mean who knows what material it was they put this like material um, on the roof of the car and I drive on to the Warner Brothers lot and <laughs> Ricardo walks up to me and he goes that's a nice car you have there, <laughs> or something like that. You know, he's complimenting my car. And I wanted, to, I so badly wanted to say, and yes, it has real Corinthian leather. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how he, whether he would laugh or, or, uh, or take that as an insult. But that was the time, you know, he was doing that commercial. I forget what it was. Was it Lincoln's or I forget which car. 
he was was it Chrysler, he was Chrysler Cordova maybe? I think Paul would know that. I, Paul knows everything. Paul, what was the Ricardo Maltabon? What was the commercial for? You know, dude, do you really think I'm that old? I mean, it I was know. it was the Cordoba. I actually happen to know this. Yeah, the Chrysler Cordoba <laughs> with the yeah. you know with the uh, with the Landau windows or whatever the hell it was, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. same time there that, was a that sounds really familiar. Yeah, you you'd get and the Chrysler Cordoba commercial, and then it would be Paul Anka for Polaroid. It's right? something it that like... you know that would be the reason that they would have hired him because. Yeah, I'm sure Ricardo got plenty I mean, of bank off that over the had years, that right? Wonderful voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. So, uh, Paul, did did you have a question you wanted to ask Leslie? I know my other co-hosts have talked to her. On, I do because you, Leslie, before, you're famous but... for being a stunt woman. If my information is correct, right? Whoops, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, I originally, or as I was growing up, I thought I wanted to be an actress. Um, and and in my senior year, I went to one of the acting schools in New York City, and I found acting, or at least the way they were teaching it, acting was so boring. I mean, it was take so many steps and say your line and then turn around and walk over here and say your line and it was like this was this was my life's dream and and this teacher just ruined the idea of acting for me i i i just couldn't believe this was what acting was all about um then I went out, uh, my family went out to visit my older brother who was at Caltech and we went to Universal Studios and there was a, this Western stunt show and, you know, they introduced the stuntmen and they come out and they're talking, but but then they would get into fights and they jump and roll and shoot guns and and yet, and yet they were still acting. Like you say, they were talking. And I had never, somehow I never knew about stunt work in, you know, let's say the 1960s, very early 1970s. I mean, until, until this Universal Stunt Show. And, once I saw these stuntmen, I said, "That's it. I want to. I want to be a stuntman." That's woman. awesome. I, you know, your your take was basically to, to hell with uh, to hell with to Lee Strasberg. I want Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Strasberg, no thanks. Lee Van Cleef, yeah, that's it. So, did you ever accidentally knock someone's teeth out? I mean, it seems like that would be a risk in stunt work, right? That's no. what I'd be worried about. I mean, you, you know, wouldn't be, you wouldn't be a very good stunt person if you <laughs> knocked out somebody's teeth. <laughs> well, there you go. That's um, why I'm not a stunt person, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! Wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> I that I don't know, but that, yeah, no, if. if if you're 
known for for hurting mm. fellow stunt people. You're not going to be working very long in the in the business. I well, mean, that's okay. I was hoping to retire anyway, so that's all right. people is we are professional actors. We are not daredevils. We do, or at least this is what I feel, and hopefully many others feel this way too, is that you don't take a job that you can't do. Um, I mean, so it's like I never knew how to ride a motorcycle, and I was called up and asked if I would uh, ride a motorcycle and, you know, lay it down as the stunt. And I thanked them very much and said, you know, here's the name of a stunt woman that rides motorcycles, but I can't do it. I appreciate I appreciate the call. I appreciate you thinking of me, but but no, no. So, so a professional stunt person would not take a job they couldn't do. But Leslie, you you did ride a motorcycle in 1941 by Steven Spielberg, right? Actually, I I don't know, but that that was the motorcycle sidecar, and I was on the sidecar. Um, the very famous uh, Bud Eakins was driving the motorcycle, doubling John Belushi when John Belushi pulls the pin out. Treat Williams and Wendy Jo Sperber are in the sidecar, and the motorcycle separates from the sidecar. And when I say going back to Bud Eakins, he is so fa- to me. Um, I love the movie The Great Escape, and even though Steve McQueen was an excellent motorcycle rider, and and he did a lot of uh, the motorcycle work in The Great Escape, but that jump of the motorcycle and then going into the barbed wire, that was Bud Eakins. So, so again, it, it, it's such a thrill it's such an honor to work with somebody that that in this case is in my mind so so well known for uh his motorcycle work uh anyways uh so you're asking yes i was uh sitting on top of a sidecar that had been motorized and and uh the stunt double for treat williams which is Mike Cassidy, and I went up this loading dock and went flying into the back of an egg truck, except that there was uh, the this motorized sidecar together. They put the gas line over, I don't know what to call it, the struts that would that you would put the seat on. So every time that Mike sat on, sat down inside the sidecar, uh, he was cutting off the gas. He was he was pinching the gas line, and we'd get like partway down uh, 
the the uh, loading dock and run out of gas, and we couldn't we we couldn't make the jump. Uh, finally, I don't know. Maybe maybe Mike got frustrated, or he felt that that we were still going, and and the last time of that night, uh, he actually went off the ramp and we ran out of gas and uh we hit the the back end of the truck and i slid onto the truck and the sidecar and mike went turned upside down and luckily they had the ground padded so he didn't get hurt but uh we actually had to come back the next night and do the stunt again. And luckily, the next night, they had figured out what they had done with the gas line. So they had moved it underneath the, uh, you know, again, it's it's really amazing when when the gas line isn't cut off that uh, you have enough gas to hit the ramp and go flying into the truck. I mean, we only filmed it once the next night. Um, well, Leslie, I actually uh, was on a motorcycle uh, in an episode of Chips also. Uh, er- Eric Estrada had an orangutan on the back of his bike, and there's a biker, stuntman, but a biker, and I'm the girlfriend, and I'm on the back of that motorcycle, and we come up to a stoplight, and and my biker boyfriend looks at the orangutan, and he looks at me, and he's trying to decide who's prettier. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, Leslie, I uh, I want to wish you a happy, happy, happy birthday, and oh, thank you. Uh, I want to say, I, I just wanted to say thank you for hanging out with us a little bit and sharing some stories with us. We appreciate it. Oh, I love talking to you guys. It's, I, I, I love Star Trek and, and I miss, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that, uh, uh, well, for, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, you know, it's 30-plus years ago now. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. 1984 is when Nightmare came out. Wow. Wow. Well, you have a happy birthday, Leslie. It's it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe, and thank you. Thank you so, so much uh, for spending some time with us uh, tonight. Thank you, Leslie, and have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was the Leslie Hoffman. And now, right now, I want to sing this special song, and it's the right one this time, out to the Leslie Hoffman. With another mouth to feed Seems that everywhere you look today There's misery and greed I guess you know the earth is going to crash into the sun But that's no reason why we shouldn't have a little fun So 
Happy birthday, Leslie. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Take it away, Charles. All right. Let's start off the happy birthday to Ian Nunny, American child actor who played the young Elnor in Star Trek Picard's first season episode, Absolute Candor. Happy birthday to Kaylee Harwood, actress-singer who played Lieutenant Parker in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, First season episode, Memento Mori. Happy birthday to Olivia Diabo, English actor, sir, who played Amanda Rogers in Star Trek Next Generation season episode, True Q. Happy birthday to Emily Banks, actress who played Tonita Barrows in Star Trek's original first season episode, Shore Leave. Happy birthday to Marcy Brickhouse, who played Mona Lovesit in Star Trek Deep Space Nine's four-season episode, Our Man Bajir. And a happy birthday to Philip Lamar, American actor, voice actor, comedian, and writer who voiced Admiral Alonzo Freeman in Star Trek's Lower Decks. Paul, who's on your birthday list? Thank you, Charles. Let me grab the old uh, birthday wheel here by the uh, control panel, and we'll see what we've got going on. Uh, happy birthday goes out to Reina Shona, uh, wonderful actor who played Isak in Next Gen's third season episode, Allegiance. Fans of crazy aliens on uh, Next Gen will know, of course, that Isak was an alien species called the Chalnoth, and was extremely disturbing and scary-looking. And uh, those of us who are deep in the Playmates action figure collecting line <laughs> can certainly say it. that, that we it. have <laughs> a action figure of Isak the Chalnoth that I think I saw at least one small child run out of the toy aisle screaming when they saw it because <laughs> his face looks like angry genitalia. I mean, it is just a frightening frightening. So check it out. If you don't know about Isak the Chalnoth and uh, Rainer Shona certainly gave a tremendous performance underneath a ridiculous amount of makeup and still conveyed absolute terror and gravitas. So Rainer Shona, we love you and happy birthday, brother. Um, thanks for being one of the most freaky parts of next generation extraterrestrial xenobiology. Uh, actress uh, Nicole Orth Palavicini uh, we're also celebrating here today, who played uh, Kirill Odan in Next Generation's fourth season episode, The Host. An excellent, excellent episode. Very, very cool. Of course, um, I believe if my information is, is correct, you know, uh, some of us, time, Jim likes to talk about how old I am sometimes, because I'm pretty sure I'm like the oldest guy on the show. Um, Eric's pretty old, too. Let's just say the way to throw him under the bus. Sorry, man. Did I do that? I didn't mean to do that. I'm, uh, Did I I'm do sorry. that? 
Well, you know, what am I going to do? But anyhow, Nicole, it's great to uh, celebrate you. That's a great, uh, really cool uh, episode, though, on, that was on there. I'm sorry, I just wanted to call that out. People have never seen it. And a chance to just rub elbows with Eric, you know, so what are you going to do? Uh, but uh, Rain Wilson is having a birthday as well. I think a lot of people know uh, Rain Wilson from The Office. Uh, but he also, uh, famously on our universe, portrayed Harry Mudd. A.K.A. Harcourt Fenton Mud in Discovery's first season episodes Choose Your Pain and Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. He also played the same character and uh, played the character in his Android replicas in the fourth season short tricks episode The Escape Artist, which he also directed. Whoa! Triple threat, Rain Wilson. Way to go. Excellent. And like Eric, also, what, what, what was the drink they were drinking? Uh, jippers. Jippers? Sipping jippers, jippers on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Jippers. <laughs> well, jippers to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fridays are for sipping jippers on the beach. That's what I know. Excellent. Well, very cool. I think I'll have to look up what that is and and find out what how many calories are in each one. So, uh, <laughs> see if it's safe to check it out. I'd like to uh, really, really, really emphasize the next couple of these uh, folks here on my list. Uh, the great Lou Antonio. Uh, who was one of the most pivotal, I think, uh, episodes. Uh, you know, a lot of times people go, oh, third season of original series, blah, blah, right? Quick to dismiss. But um, let that be your last battlefield. Of course, the one where you have uh, Lou Antonio and uh, the great Frank Gorshin as two characters who are monochromatic on op- opposite sides of their bodies and the depiction of prejudice and uh, racism that they were able to evoke with that allegory there was really powerful. And uh, Lou Antonio played the one who was being pursued uh, and trying to be brought to justice, uh, Loki, with a tremendous amount of energy on there. Uh, Lou Antonio is, uh, has done a ton of work in his uh, career, but uh, I always think of him as in the great Paul Newman movie, Cool Hand Luke, mm-hmm. where you can see him doing his work in there, Such which is just movie. so <laughs> damn great. So <laughs> what we have here is a failure to communicate. To communicate. So if you've never seen Cool Hand Luke, you're really missing out. It's, it's a so terrific good. picture. Um, one of the great, uh, great pictures of, uh, of the era, for sure. And then last on my list, I'd like to just... Uh, God, what a great guy. The great David Diggs. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I don't know if everyone knows David Diggs, but he's an actor, mm-hmm. rapper, and singer-songwriter. And we're acknowledging his birthday here today because he played Commander Tysus in Star Trek Prodigy, a Andorian, I should point out, because uh, you don't see a lot of Andorian officers. Uh, but I think Andorians, I feel, are kind of making a... Are about to make a. An they're appearance. coming back, baby. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, I think they're coming back see a hard. Lot of I suspect. Stuff, yep. Mike, I think Andorians have been super underused in uh, next gen, and they're going to start appearing more and more and more and more. Is my prediction because they're just so freaking cool. And I know Eric's all about the genitalia with the uh, you know, Andorians. <laughs> you guys, you got no. It's not about that. We get. Oh, we, we all heard you before you know the what? show started. I just Come figured on. it out. I mean, we need to have an entire show about Andorians. I would the can same we, can way we, we have right now. Can we have an Andorian show? Let's just Is it going to be right now? Andor because that's Andorian show. Out. That's already taken. <laughs> <laughs> that's one guy that's one actor man come on because of that one guy one actor we are inspired to have an all Andorian show and I think that I we think should it. do it I don't know about around Valentine's Day in the spirit of Jim there, <laughs> there we go that's what I like to see so that would be great for me 
And let's go. I don't know how. Commander Tysus, look what you did. You got me totally sidetracked. Paul's got my number, man. I I really do. I'll call you later. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things I want to – Dave David Diggs is great, but one of the things that I am especially fond of, because it's the first thing I ever saw him in, um, is the magnificent Hamilton Okay, and I hope everyone has seen Hamilton in the audience. I mean, but but David Diggs, uh, pretty sure, originated the role of Lafayette. He did. Right. You don't have the votes. Nope. (laughs) Just Mm -hmm. so great, man. He's great. He's so energetic and so charismatic, just charisma seeping out of the guy. And uh, I hope to see a lot more of your character. Uh, there's a, this prodigy that has been made we have not seen, which is really exciting to me, right? Because we've had been lucky enough to have Aaron Waltke on the show a lot. And it's just the secrets that guy knows and we don't yet know are wonderful and to con- contemplate. But I'm hoping maybe there's going to be some more uh, Commander Tysus that we just don't know about yet. And uh, perhaps we'll be seeing more of David Diggs in our uh, upcoming Star Trek get to be. So that's my rambling monologue for the day. <laughs> I'm going to pass this. Next to, who, who we missed so far? We, I, we went out of sequence. I know Uncle Jim has already gone because we did all that wackiness there. And have we, have we done Charles? Charles, have you gone? You did because you did Olivia yeah. Dabo. You're the end of the line, man. By the end of my... Oh, God, how embarrassing. Like well, you're the caboose. Are you saying I have a large ass, Charles? Is that what you're <laughs> it's cute though, so it's okay. Jesus, it's just so humiliating to be on radio. Oh well, all right. I'm going to pass it back to uh, uh, Uncle Jim. He's going to start off off our festivities as we begin. Yeah. Are you ready, friends? Major mania. Major mania, it is. I want to start out major mania with a story about Mabel, an actual story, a real story, something that happened to me for real. Now, um, you guys may or may not know that Mabel started Star Trek, um, what do you call it, Um, merchandising, basically, with Lincoln Enterprises. And they made the Vulcan Idic symbol and all these different things and, and scripts. Their big thing was selling scripts from the show. And if you ever went to a Star Trek convention where Major Barrett was, Lincoln Enterprises would be there, and she'd be sitting at the table all day signing stuff for people. Because you're going to be shocked to hear this, guys, but back in the day, autographs were free. Please, jump back, Uncle Jim. Say it isn't so. But yes, they were. Uh, You just went up to the table. You bought a picture for five bucks. They signed it for you. Quick, simple, easy. And the thing that was great about Majel is she was at the table all day. So you could go in 15 times and get autographs from her and chat with her. She was just a charming, delightful, wonderful, wonderful woman. And when I was planning Star Trek conventions back in the early 90s, we liked to have people at conventions who had never been to them before, uh, like Elizabeth Dennehy, for instance. Uh, Robert Robert O'Reilly, for instance. Uh, so uh, when we were thinking about who to have, I said, well, we have to have Mr. Holm. Because at this time, um, Adam's family was in the movie theater, and he played Lurch in the Adam's family. 
and he also played Mr. Holm on TNG. He'd never done a Star Trek convention. So, boom, we got him. And we thought, well, if we get Mr. Holm, we have to get Loaxana Troy because Mr. Holm carried around her luggage. So we ended up having Major Barrett. So I go to the airport with my wife, Karen, to pick up Major Barrett. And she's getting off the plane, and they have all of her luggage on the cart. And uh, she asked me to grab her luggage. And I felt like Captain Picard in that episode. I picked up the luggage, and I think my nuts fell off. It weighed a ton. It was loaded with scripts. And I, like, I, I barely got it up onto the cart and rolled it out to my car. I was like, oh, my God. She lugs this thing from California all the way to New York. And it's just, I'm just it's glad that we laugh. now know it's okay to say nuts on this show. And that, that you yeah. know, we, we, thank you, brother. It, it was, uh, it was an experience. It was an eye-opening experience. And I'll tell you, Major Barrett was the sweetest, uh, most compassionate uh, woman that I ever met. She loved the Star Trek fans. And we had a party for all the people that worked on the convention and she came up and took pictures with her buddy and signed stuff for everybody. And she was just a jewel, an absolute jewel. And, uh, she's definitely very, very sorely missed. So, uh, we miss you, Major Barrett. But, but since we're talking about Major Mania, the very first time that anybody would see Major Barrett would be on the cage as number one. I'm not talking about number one on strange new worlds. I'm talking the original number one, the number one, number one, played by Majel Barrett. What a great role that was. And that, you know, only started the trainer rolling because not only did she play number one. Well, well, hold on, Jim, but do you know why they, why they wrote her out of that, that role? Because she, she she was too assertive, too assertive. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. Too assertive. The story I've heard is that she was too close to Gene. Uh, yeah. She was too close to Gene Roddenberry, and I think that kind of made a little bit of a threat to the uh, production. And let, let's not forget that when the cage was not picked up and it got scrubbed, she would come back as Nurse Chapel. No, not the Nurse Chapel on Strange New Worlds. Get your minds out of Strange New Worlds. Uh, she played the original Nurse Chapel and TOS, and then when TOS wrapped, she played a character which a lot of people often forget about. The very first Cation that we ever see, Eric, and who was that? Mress. Mress, that's right. On TAS, the animated series, she played Mress. Uh, awesome character. Awesome character. I... I saw a really great cosplayer at MRS at a convention, and I couldn't believe she had the big paws and everything. I was like, wow, is a cosplay right there. And, uh, yeah, and she also voiced several other characters on TAS as well. Not just yeah, including, including Amanda Grayson, because actually Jane Wyatt was unavailable for that role on TAS, and so they decided to go with Majel. Yeah. She's she's she, yeah. She's been around, and of course, we're calling her Major Barrett Roddenberry because she married Gene Roddenberry, obviously, right? 
Yeah, she did. There was there was actually two weddings. Like they had a kind of unofficial, but they considered it official wedding, a Shinto Buddhist wedding um, on August 6, 1969. But technically that wedding actually happened before Gene was divorced from his previous wife. So even though they regarded it as their real wedding, um, they made it legal with a civil ceremony, something like four months later or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's another a story floating around. Uh, everybody obviously knows Yeoman Rand from the first season of TOS, right? Well, mm-hmm. at, at the time, uh, Gene Roddenberry was, was in the throes of a divorce, but not divorced, and he was having an affair with Majel, and he was having an affair with uh, Grace Lee Whitney and the people that were producing Star Trek thought well this is this is a bad thing we don't want to have a clash between Grace Lee and Majel on, we, it's just not a good thing so one of them's got to go and it ended up being uh, Grace Lee Whitney and uh, that's why she's no longer on the show after that oh. people often wondered why did she disappear and that's why well, I know but you got some. They would bring her got... back for Star Trek the motion picture, and she she would she would come back later. Yep, much later. So true, Paul. I know you got some but, some things to say about Majel here. Is Paul I do. Still and Paul... here? Yeah, I've yeah. I've got to I've got about like ten minutes or so before I have to go do another uh, another call. So my, I apologize for being so abbreviated here tonight, but just they get loaded up with this stuff. But I just want to say a few words about Majel. Uh, before I go, if it's cool. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's important to point out, you know, because we always like to talk about how Star Trek is an emblem of change, right? And uh, ideally, it's Star Trek serves as a beacon, possible. And uh, when things are wrong, um, we should try to change them, right? And uh, a lot of the, the, in some of the interviews I've seen, with uh, Major Barrett, um, she's, you know, I mean, there's all that backstory stuff that you were just referring to, uh, but also a lot of it, the resistance initially was, you know, why they even came up with the Spock character in development in the first place is because at the time, the studio wouldn't buy the idea of yeah. a woman in That's second right. in command. It yep. was just too, nobody too assertive. The idea yep. of just the fact that it's just pure gender, not even assertive, Ugh. but they said that basically she's in interviews said they just simply well, couldn't believe that a woman could have yeah. a position of authority. Yeah. Right. And of course, that gets translated. As, oh, she's too brusque and too assertive and too did. But it's all about gender because feminism had yet to really like burst forth as it needed to. And uh, and so I really think it's important to, you know, look at Major Barrett as being a feminist character uh, or portraying feminist characters and for being an early example, much as Nicole, Nichelle uh, Nichols was, as being an example to young women that, you know, do not be content with your place, do not be content with what the patriarchy says you can do, that there's more than that and that it's really important to put examples uh, out there that you can aspire to. And uh, so very much ahead of its time, the idea, I mean, now we look at number one on Strange New Worlds, like everyone's saying, right? And we accept it. We don't really question it. I mean, we've seen women admirals, women in command, really. But this is the number one in that portrayal that Gene and 
Majel first came up with is really the, the first thing, right, of trying to basically show that women can be in a leadership role and this should just be considered a norm and a given in the future. And it really sucks that, you know, they just dismissed her and made her basically be, you know, you can be a nurse, people will believe that or whatever, right, you know, down the road. But it's just, it is all run by men, a bunch of stupid, arrogant, easily threatened men in the 1960s. And so it's great, though, to say, okay, to actually focus on the fact that, yeah, things have changed since then. And there's a lot of stuff that we still complain about in society, but at least that's something that has changed uh, that is better uh, since the old, old days where, where we don't have as much of that patriarchal dismissiveness, where women in executive positions are a common thing now. So we love that that's the case, and uh, and and we really want to make sure to uh, aspire to uh, continue that trend and keep that going. Uh, hold on, just one second, gentlemen. I am so sorry. Yeah, she's she was a feminist before it was cool to be feminist, and I I do think that Paul makes a really excellent point in that you know when Star Trek first went for its um, you know for its go, its green light, it produced that first episode and one of the things that the studio didn't like was Major Barrett's character, which is which is unfortunate because Paul's right, it it was a, a uh, you know Disney, no of, more cookies. We don't have any more. Okay. That, you're gonna have Paul, to just do without. Hey Paul, you're uh, unmuted. Um so, yeah, it's just a function of her being a a woman, I think which um, would be different these days. And I think it's so cool that we've got Rebecca Romaine now kind of reprising this role and bringing new life into the number one role that, you know, Major was never able to do simply because of uh, the, the sign of the times, so to speak. <laughs> you know? Sorry about that, guys. Yep. Just too much yep. going yeah. on. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, And then the only other thing I was just going to mention real briefly before I go is uh, the very first thing I remember seeing Majel Barrett in, and I had forgotten about this until I watched it again recently, but, uh, you know, most of us on the show are big fans of, like, old 70s science fiction, right? And one of the best ever that was just on reruns constantly growing up was the original Michael Crichton Westworld. Yay! <laughs> right? Miss awesome Gary. picture. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. And if you watch the original Westworld... Uh, that Michael Crichton directed. Majel Barrett is the madam who runs like the whorehouse in like Westworld, right? And it's just great to see her. She's just very cocky and confident, and just kind of like, oh yeah, help yourself. <laughs> yep. Vintage Majel, man. Just a lot of charm, a lot of confidence, and I think that that's the way I would love to remember Majel Barrett. Is she was a, a bright shining feature of uh, unabashed femininity, uh, ownership, empowerment, uh, charm, and uh, confidence. So, Majel Barrett, we salute you. And uh, sorry to have to leave, uh, gentlemen, in the middle of this discussion, but uh, continue on. And thank you for letting me jump in. Have a good night, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I think that, um, unfortunately, well, I don't want to say the word, unfortunately, but Nichelle Nichols gets a lot of the attention for for being such a trailblazer, but I think as Paul, you know, mentioned, I think that Major Barrett gets overlooked so often simply because the cage was never picked up, and so the character that she's most associated with was Nurse Chapel, and it wasn't until years and years and years and years later when the cage, you know, was released, where when people, you know, 
would recognize her as number one. But even in that episode, there's a line where, where Pike yeah. says uh, <laughs> something like, I can't get used to seeing a woman on the bridge. And he's, oh, but you're different. You know, there, yeah. there's a lot of sexism uh, in that particular script, in that particular episode. Um, things that I think wouldn't necessarily fly today. But like Paul said, back in the 60s, you know, that was normal. And, uh, well, and well, but I I think what's important about that is I like Jim. It was it was pushing the edge, and I you know I think one of Paul's points maybe was that one of the reasons, one of many reasons maybe, but like one of the reasons that the cage didn't get picked up was because of that, you know. And it was funny because they actually took her character qualities, number one's character qualities, and they integrated them into the new character of Spock. And they made him alien. So what they were able to do was kind of like adapt the sort of socially, um, you know, advanced topics that they were thinking about, and and sort of laterally put those into a new character that gave Star Trek the same feel. And I'm, you know, Kirk Spock McCoy. That's classic. Like nobody wants to break up. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, but Spock is partially made up of number one qualities. Um, and, you know, they made him alien and they made him male, and that kind of made it a little bit more palatable. And, and I remember at, you know, Star Trek conventions uh, in the 80s and 90s, Major Barrett telling stories that when, when the cage was aired, well, the cage wasn't aired, the menagerie, actually, uh, that that she would receive letters from women that were like hate mail. Well, hate mail back in the 60s, like, how dare you? And, and you know, women were, were upset at her character, which kind of hits me as odd that women would be bothered by a strong female character, but they were. They, they didn't like her character. Well, and, and remember that you... Right. And remember, Jim, that you kind of only understand the paradigm that you're taught, right? So you, it's, it's harder to think outside the box than it is to think inside the box. And if you're taught one way of living your entire life, your propensity is to actually live that way. So, you know, those women of the, of the sixties and stuff like they may, you're correct. And also they didn't know a different paradigm. Right. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Majel persevered, though. She persevered. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we said, she went on to play Nurse Chapel, uh, who also would come back in the motion pictures. And we would see her, you know, along the way, a little bit here and a little bit there. Emress in Star Trek, the animated series. And then I think she, I think she really took off when TNG came along. Because she came back and played Deanna Troy's mother, Laloxana Troy, who had the hots for Captain Picard. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and this is, you, people either love the character or they hate the character. Oh, does know? anybody hate Laloxana Troy? I mean, Laloxana Troy, daughter of the fifth house, holder of the sacred chalice of Rick's, heir to the holy rings of Beta Z. Does anybody hate that woman? Flair of oh Gowron? My God. Oh, wait, wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, the Flair of Gowron. <laughs> I, uh, whenever I put up no a, 
on our Facebook page uh, and I choose a picture of Hello Oksana, read the comments. Inevitably, mm. you will get the hate of Hello Oksana. I, I don't know why, but people are entitled to their, their opinions, but they either think she she's a hoot or they think she's a bitch. I mean, it's one or the other. They just, they, there's really not many down the middle. Either they love her, she's great, or they hate her. But either way, I think that she she made the Waxana Troy like I don't know. She's just the mother-in-law from hell. <laughs> Jim, no, Jim, like literally one of the best TNG characters of all time, in my opinion. Because what she does is she takes that whole idea of your um, of your mother-in-law that you don't necessarily care for, which I think a lot of people have that in their families, <laughs> and. And she brings it to the fore, or the overbearing mother, right? Like, uh, Troy is constantly talking to her mother about how over the top she is, and how, like, Troy's ability to sort of mitigate her Betazoid powers with her human DNA is completely unleashed with Luoxana, because Luoxana is just like all Betazoid, and she just, she's like, you know what, I'm going to put my feelings out here, and I'm going to love people, and I'm going to hate people, and I'm going to, oh, I know exactly what you're thinking about, and I'm going to react to that. To me, she's one of those characters that is just so engaging that I particularly am interested in every single moment that she's on screen. I just, I think she's the best the absolute best Major Barrett character we've ever seen, Loxana Troy. I really do. And I, I, I thought it was great when they were talking about the wedding and she gets the new hairband and she says, oh, this will just look great on me naked. Yeah. <laughs> the whole bait is right thing. <laughs> well, and don't forget that, like, I think everybody kind of gets into the comedy of her and the sort of, like, you know, oh, my mom's here. There's shenanigans that are going to happen, but there were a couple of pretty serious plot uh, lines that came out of Majel Barrett's portrayal of Luaxana Troy. Like the, um, do you remember the whole uh, thing about Troy's other sister and the death of Troy's sister? Uh, I don't, I don't remember the name of that episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the just like most heart wrenching episodes of, of TNG ever. Um, talking about that. And then there's the whole relationship of hers with Odo in Deep Space Nine. And Mm -hmm. I personally think that's one of the most beautiful parts of Luoxana because she's a person who has the ability as a Betazoid and somebody who feels other people's emotions to kind of pick up on what you're putting out. And so the fact that Luoxana falls in love with Odo is actually a direct result of the fact that Odo starts to feel feelings for her. So there's this kind of like reciprocal thing that if you really think about it, Odo's this kind of like reserved character who like doesn't want to give up anything. And, you know, he's like, ah, I'm Odo. But Luoxana shows a little bit of interest and he reaches out. And that to me, Luoxana is as much a part of Odo's character development as Odo is himself which I just think is beautiful in DS9. So, remind me, was that during the time when Odo lost his shape-shifting ability and he became yes. like a human? Yep, that's exactly yeah, okay. right. Yep, yep. And, no, I, and don't forget, don't forget. There was a point which he actually Eric. melted into her lap. That's right. 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's that whole scene where he can't they're like stuck in an elevator or something and they yeah. he can't like That's right. Shift so he back still had his shape shifting ability, okay. At that point, but yeah. but she carried but remember that she's not just in one episode, like that that her effect carries on in D S nine, I think. And I, I just wanted to point out that she also shares a scene with Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac briefly <laughs> because uh, he, Mick Fleetwood plays the Antedian. And when they're beaming off the ship uh, and, and there's this plot line that, that is overlooked and forgotten. Uh, and then the Loxana brings it right back. And uh, there, there, there's a terrorist attack. They're going to blow up some embassy or or some, I don't remember the exact details, but Loaxana is just getting ready to beam off the ship, and she calls out Mick Fleetwood as the terrorist who's going to bomb the embassy, just like huh. in the last 30 seconds of the, of the end of the episode. She calls him out as a terrorist because she can read his mind. And so she actually got attacked in the scene with Mick Fleetwood. How cool is that? I mean, <laughs> granted, he was a giant fish, but still, no. <laughs> it still counts. I would be a giant fish on Star Trek. No Absolutely. problem. I'll be a stock of celery if you want. I'll do anything. Just put me on a show. <laughs> I'll be standing in the corner. <laughs> Whatever so we've got. Takes. So we've got our TOS Majel. We've got our TNG Majel. We've got our TAS Majel. Um, then we have Majel kind of like post Roddenberry? Do you want to are we ready to go post Roddenberry Majel? Uh is that is that the what is that the thing that you sent me that you're referring to? Oh, oh, well there's also that. No, I forgot about that. So, uh d- yeah, can I introduce introduce that, Jim? Is that cool? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what it is, but I have it here because you yeah. sent it to me. <laughs> I did. I sent you this really obscure thing. So, in my Majel research this week, what I found out was that she not only did voiceover work for Star Trek shows and uh, other things like that, but she also provided voiceover work for the Union Pacific Railroad Company. So um, as a train comes into you know, an intersection or that sort of stuff, they have this, this radio that they keep track of, and the radio is called an Automated Railroad Defect detector and what it does is it tells you like oh there's a track out of place or there's this thing happening and 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 it's kind of like your early warning system if you're an engineer with a train uh as you as you come up to intersections and stuff so what i found out was that she actually got a job back in the day doing voiceover work for railroad defect detectors and if you are a train engineer these days or back in the day you know since she started doing this probably in the 80s or so uh sometimes when you come into an intersection or that sort of stuff you will actually hear majel's voice and so i found a great clip that jim's going to share with us this is majel barrett as a railroad defect detector for the union pacific railroad UP detector milepost one 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 point nine track one no defect total axle one two train speed two six MPH temperature three seven degrees detector out 
So this is totally like her stuff that she did for the J.J. Abrams uh, movies, right? Because they recorded her voice a word at a time, and they put the words together to uh, you know, make a sentence that makes sense, that, that tells people what they need to do. So I just think it's super cool that she crosses over from Star Trek <laughs> into the Union Pacific Railroad, and there are thousands of people running trains out there today that hear Majel's voice every single day they work. Wow. And for those like having an Enterprise wow. on the train. She totally. actually does the voice of the Starship. Yeah, I was going to say, she does the voice of the Enterprise. They they phonetically they recorded her voice and used her, her voice hmm. for the ship's computers, uh, except yep. on Prodigy, which is Bonnie Gordon. But up to then, it was Major Barrett. Huh. That's right. That's right. She does. Then, well, go ahead, Charles. Well, I was going to. Well, something else she did. Something else on my trip is, or she did it, but many a times in TNG. And I think um, TNG and DS9, probably Voyager, if they had a two-parter, she would end the two-parter and she'd come back in the next episode. What happened last week? Last week. And her voice would be Star in Trek there Voyager. to introduce us the part two episodes. Totally. That's right. She uh, Best of both worlds, part one and part two is where she started that. Yeah. To be Pretty continued. Awesome. Dun, 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 dun. So she had so she had her whole career like while she was in the Roddenberry years. You know, there was the Westworld stuff which Paul talked about, which I thought was awesome. Plus there's all the the Star Trek stuff. But then there's the post Gene Roddenberry stuff, which I thought was really cool. So as Gene passed away, but he had kind of these other projects out there that he was interested in. Mm-hmm. Majel was instrumental in bringing some of these projects to the fore. And so we got shows like Earth's Final Conflict, with, which ran from 1997 to 2002, uh, where she served as one of the series' executive producers and acted as one of the main characters, Dr. Julianne Bellman, in 11 episodes uh, in the first three seasons. And then there was uh, Andromeda. And I must admit that I have a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for Andromeda. I don't know why, but I caught that show at exactly the right point in my life when I was watching tons of Star Trek. And um, it was it was Star trek I had no idea at the time, actually, that it was actually connected to Star Trek. It was just a show that I thought was cool that I started watching. Um, if you're not familiar with it, the series started in a distant future where three galaxies are unified under the control of the system's commonwealth when the commonwealth attempts to resolve a war with another spacefaring civilization by ceding territory to them an uprising against the commonwealth appears uh and then uh, basically the andromeda the main ship gets frozen in time for 300 years and they come out and the commonwealth aka the federation has absolutely collapsed and uh you know, it wasn't – Kevin Sorbo played Dylan Hunt, the captain, and it had some interesting stuff going on. But Majel was an integral part of actually getting that television show on TV, which I thought was pretty cool. And wasn't there another one called um, Earth Final Conflict? 
Yeah, I talked about that one first. That's the one uh, where she played Dr. Julianne Bellman in 11 episodes, too. Yep, 1997 to 2002. Yeah, that was another Roddenberry show. Yep. Yep. Both both worth watching. Like if you're a Roddenberry sci-fi fan, both worth watching, I would say. Like I'm not going to say that it's the best television you've ever seen, but there are some cool Star Trek concepts in there. Plus, well, yeah, in particular if you're a DS9 fan, you might like them because there's some political stuff, there's, you know, overtones of what's going on with different societies, and I feel like fans of DS9 are more into that sort of stuff. So if you're into DS9 and you haven't seen Andromeda or Earth's Final Conflict, you probably Alien Nation, right, Jim? <laughs> Which is not Star so, Trek, yeah. but, <laughs> but very similar to like Earth's Final Conflict. And, you know, Majel Barrett also brought us Rod Roddenberry. Well, yeah. Gene helped with that too. But... <laughs> <laughs> so we you know. understand. Yes. Yeah, but uh, because Roddenberry is is now picked up the the mantle of Star Trek and is running with it, where for 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 the longest time, uh, you know he he wasn't interested, but now he is, and so all of these new Star Trek shows that are coming out, he is being involved with them, which I think is 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 great. What more could you ask for? You know, have the great Rod Roddenberry, son of Gene and Majel. Be involved yeah. in the future of Star Trek. You keeping know? it in the family. <laughs> yeah, keeping it going, keeping it alive, and keeping it real, which is awesome. But uh, Major Barrett was a staple of conventions. I mean, she she really worked her tail off for Star Trek. And uh, the merchandising started with Lincoln Enterprises. And, I, I you know, if it wasn't for her, you know, I don't know if we would have, you know, the action figures that Paul collects and all the things that we love because, you know, it was her and Lincoln Enterprises that proved Star Trek is marketable. You know, we can make merchandise for Star Trek. And she started it with Lincoln Enterprises. So, you know, she was a true Ferengi, you know. (laughs) Lobes for business. She had the lobes. Forget about Ishka. We have Majel. <laughs> I mean, basically, original... Ishka is kind of Majel, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, she is. And, you know, I can't express enough. I mean, I I feel fortunate that I had the opportunity to meet her. Yeah. Um, special. She was just the sweetest, nicest. I can't. And I'm not just saying that because she's dead. I mean, I mean it. I mean, she was just, oh, and I just, I can't say enough nice things about her, you know? She cared. She cared about Star Trek. She cared about the conventions. She wanted to see them succeed, and she was willing to do whatever she could do. She was just an awesome, awesome person all the way around. You know, I, I, I hope that some of our listeners you know, had the opportunity to meet her at a convention because she was a doll, an absolute doll. I just can't, can't see enough good about her, you know. And like Paul said, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have Strange New Worlds. We wouldn't have the – which is odd because she did Nurse Chapel and Number One, and they're both incredibly strong female characters on Strange New Worlds. 
that were influenced by her, by her portrayal. So, you know, as much as we talk about Lucille Ball and her relevance to Star Trek, I think Major Barrett is right there. You know, she, she, yeah, well, the the interesting thing to me, Jim, about Major Barrett is that she kind of rides that line between, like, um, strong feminist woman who is independent and doing her thing and representing characters that are of that ilk back in the day, way before anybody else was doing it. And also, you know, she was married to Gene Roddenberry, so when when she was written into being Chapel, the reason that they changed Chapel's hair color to blonde and the reason that they put her in a miniskirt and the, all this stuff was that she was a woman and they were trying to make the show a little bit more appealing to the 18 to 40 year old male demographic, which was the demographic that was seen as being the Star Trek demographic of the time. And I, I think that was probably correct. Um, but I'll just say all of that and then also back it up and say, yeah, and she worked it. Like, <laughs> like as Chapel, I don't see who um, you know is only there because she's cute. I see her as somebody who's an integral part of the Enterprise. That if she wasn't there, some part of the bridge's operations wouldn't operate properly. So um, even though Jean had to kind of like you know, sexy her up a little bit and change her role and give her different lines and that sort of stuff. I feel like there's still a little bit of that uh, initial major, you know, proto-feminism in that that Chapel character. Well, Majel, Majel and Spock, I think, played it up really well on TOS, and they got that spark, that spark which they played off of on Strange New Worlds, started you know yeah and we're seeing that come to fruition on strange new worlds and you know tos they weren't allowed there was a lot of things they weren't allowed to do on tos and now that we have strange new worlds streaming uh, they're allowed to go in directions which maybe they couldn't have before that's one of my and, favorite and, things, Jim, you know, is to is to analyze star trek from today's viewpoint and then analyze star trek from a 1960s or a 1990s viewpoint because I do think that it makes a big difference, right? You have you have to kind of say like, okay, they did this, but what was the context of the time, and how did that affect the choices that they were making? And the fact that Majel was number one in the cage, and the cage never got viewed because of many reasons, but also number one's portrayal <laughs> as a character, like was not seen as a marketable thing. It just, I, it just furthers the idea that Star Trek to me is one of the most progressive franchise of all time, right? Like it pushes the ball forward. And that's why shows like Star Trek Discovery to me, you know, people get kind of down on it sometimes or they talk about how it's different or the Klingons or blah, 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 whatever. But what it's trying to do is it's trying to push that ball forward. It's trying to take the idea of Idic and make it uh, relevant to today's times and stuff. So I draw a direct line from the cage and Major Barrett's portrayal of number one straight to Michael Burnham. I think it's a very clear that one influences the other and that Michael Burnham takes 21st century um, topics 
and um, you know racial context and all that sort of stuff and takes the Majel Barrett thing and pushes it one step further. So that's why, that's why I love Star Trek. It's like it's like the space program, right? When back remember when we had a space program? <laughs> it's like that. It's like pushing the ball forward. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I know exactly what you mean. And, and I think it's unfortunate. I mean, we're seeing strange, we're, everything comes back to strange new worlds, but we're seeing strange new worlds now. But just imagine what could have been if number one had stayed around, you know, instead of being swept under the carpet. You yeah, know, but ours I think is not Major, to be sad, Jim. Ours is, ours is to celebrate what we now have, right? Like, I totally Major, agree with you. It's too bad she, she wasn't able that. to. Yeah, she did. You know, she blazed it. Yep. She played that character up. And in yep. fact, even though Pike makes the comment about not being able, being used to having a woman on the bridge, you know, oh, but you're different. When when Pike is gone and she's in command, the crew yeah. has no problem That's taking the best orders part. from her. And she has no problem giving them. And they they respect her. You know, that whole scene when they're sitting around the coffee, t- I mean, the uh, ready room table, uh, discussing the plans. It, it's not like they're dismissing her because she's a woman. She's in command of the starship, and she has command of the starship. You know, it's not like, oh, well, you're a woman, and yeah, we'll listen to you anyways. No, th- there's none of that. She is clearly in command. She knows it, they know it, and there's no problem. You know, she carried it. She pulled it off like a, you know, like a pro, like the pro that she is. Totally. You know? Yep. Yep. So, I mean, uh, you, you've been awful, awful quiet, Charles. Do you want to add anything to this Oh, not a whole lot to add from what I did with the computer. But <clears throat> Jim's like, well, they treated her like she was in command. But when you're military, that's what you do. You don't question your commanding officer. The commanding officer wants to do it this way. So they want your opinion. That's what you're going to give them. They're going to go back to your commanding officer. The officers love you. You might right. disagree with them, but you've got to disagree with them in a proper channel. It's a proper way of doing it. I'm right. sure it's a little less nowadays because of how society has changed. But back then, it's the oath. You followed the chain of command, and you followed what the command, what the officers above you had were wanted. Well, and Charles, uh, let's be clear that throwaway line that Pike has about like women on the bridge and stuff, like that yeah. was for the viewers. That was yes. – you, you can't evaluate that line in the context of 21st century sensibilities. You have to look at it you know, in terms of 1960 – whatever it was, 5, 66 well, that's 20th century sensibilities. Views. Yeah, totally. That's more 20th century views, not 21st yep. century. Yep. Right. Exactly. Because we do have different – we do have some new different ideals in the 21st than we did in the 20th. And, you know, in the 22nd, we will have different ones from what we have now. <laughs> exactly. Yep, exactly. How about you, David? Did you want to add anything about Major Barrett or any of the characters that she's played? Or 
Uh, well, a lot of this apparently is all new to me. I mean, I don't know really a lot about her per se, but uh, I, I, this guy kept bringing up a lot about the comments where Pike, the TOS Pike, um, mentioned that, you know, he couldn't, the whole woman on the bird scene, but she looked at her and she said, but you're different. <laughs> I actually like the way that Strange New World turned that around and yes. it turned out that she was, a, uh, what was it, an Illyrian, Illyrian or something? Yep. So yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> and so, yes, she's not a human woman, but she's an alien woman, yes. But I think the TOS Pike meant that, you know, right. women are uh, different, I guess, when they're aliens. But anyways, um, yeah, so... I don't really know what I could say a whole lot about. I mean, to me, I I learned quite a bit. I didn't know that she was part of the Union train station voice, which I thought was kind of cool. By the way, Eric, do you know what year that was when she started that job? Uh, I don't know specifically, but I got the sense as I was doing research that that, that was in the 80s. Yeah, mm. the mid-80s, maybe. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I don't know, she, she's a cool character. I did like Lashana Toy. Uh, I did like that character. I liked um, Number One. I liked Chapel. I liked them all. She did a pretty good job. And I was actually surprised when I first heard that she did both Number One and Chapel. I was like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you got to go with it. So, yeah, I'm, that's, yeah I don't know. <laughs> Chapel has original Chapel has probably the best hairdo in all of Star Trek. <laughs> Do you think she would have hated that hairdo, kind of like what Elizabeth Dennehy's did? She's <laughs> she's actually talked about it. Yeah, Major Barrett has talked about wearing that wig before, and she's talked about how heavy it was. Apparently, that oh. thing was incredibly heavy, and it had this like dense weave to it, and it was hard for her to actually balance it on her head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you mean it wasn't your real hair? <laughs> I don't know if it was real hair or not. That's an uh, interesting question. Yeah, but it it has such a funny texture because you, you, if you're a person who is tactile at all and actually follows how to do things, like you look at that hair and you're like, no, that's actually impossible to do <laughs> as a hairdo. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> oh, you mean similar to the Paramount Mountain Pike hairstyle? <laughs> well, Pike, Pike's got gel, man, but the whole basket weave thing on Chapel is really out of line. <laughs> no cosmetologist <laughs> would be able to actually do that. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, in Star Trek, the motion picture, when uh, McCoy beams aboard the Enterprise, he says, I hear Chapel's an MD now. And he says, you know, and he, he, he mentions, I'm not going to need a doctor to argue my every little diagnosis with me as he goes down the hallway complaining. So she becomes a doctor by the time we see her in the motion picture. And when we see, in, when we see her again in Star Trek IV, uh, The Voyage Home, she's the head of Starfleet's medical, working out of Starfleet Command. So the character, right? yeah. yeah, she climbs up the ranks, you know, pretty quick actually when you think about it so that's you know to become mccoy's superior actually Mm -hmm. so that's 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 really cool progression for that character 
So cool. Anybody yeah. have anything they want to add about about Major before we we move on here? Did you yeah. ever make the rank of Major? <laughs> <laughs> there's no no. There's no Major and check out your Starfleet ranks, man. There's no Major in Starfleet. <laughs> it just sounds the same as her name, Ty. <laughs> major Major. Major. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Well, I guess that's going to wrap up our discussion on Major Barrett and all the characters that she's played throughout the long career of Star Trek and, and you know, the importance that she is to Star Trek. So rest in peace, Major Barrett. And we're going to move on, and it's time for some Star Trek news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. All right, guys, all the news stories that we're about to talk about are Uncle Jim's abbreviated versions for air use only. You can find the complete unedited, unabridged versions on our Facebook page. Okay, well, uh, Eric, you want to start us off with some sad, sad news? Yeah, Jim, it's too bad this week. Uh, we had a big loss in the Star Trek community. Alien Nation and Star Trek Enterprise star Gary Graham dies at age 73. Gary Graham, best known for playing Detective Matthew Sykes in Alien Nation, and Soval, the Vulcan ambassador to Earth in Star Trek Enterprise, has died at the age of 73 years old. Graham's ex-wife, the actress Susan Lavelle, announced the news in a post on Facebook. She said, It is with deep, profound sadness to say that Gary Graham, my ex-husband, amazing actor, and father of our beautiful only child together, Haley Graham, has passed away today, Lavelle said. I met with Gary when I was just 20 years old, and he was one half of the star duo on the TV series Alien Nation. But he had already been in movies like All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise. Gary has many more credits, including Robot Jocks, Jeepers Creepers, Reborn, and The Extendables. She said, Gary was funny, sarcastic sense of humor, but kind, fought for what he believed in, a devout Christian, and was so proud of his daughter, Haley. Fly high into the heavens, Gar. Thank you for our journey and thank you for the gifts you left me in acting, my love of horses, and most importantly, our daughter. Graham played Detective Matthew Sykes in Alien Nation, which ran from 1989 to 1990, then returned to the role in the 1990 movie Alien Nation Dark Horizon in uh, 94, Alien Nation Body, Body and Soul in 95, and Alien Nation Millennium in 96. Uh, but that's not it. Alien Nation The Enemy Within 96 and Alien Nation the Udara Legacy in 97, many, many television movies based on alienation. He starred in Star Trek Enterprise as the recurring role of Soval, a Vulcan ambassador to Earth, and guest starred on Star Trek Voyager once, playing an Ocampan community leader, Tannis, in the season two episode, Cold Fire. Graham went on to play Ragnar in the fan production of Star Trek of Gods and Men, which is fantastic, by the way, and continued that role in a 2015 fan film, Star Trek 
Renegades. Um, I believe he was also part of a Star Trek band, if I remember correctly. Uh, uh, Kirk. Yeah, Sons of Kirk. Um, yeah. I know that I I haven't hung out with Gary Graham, but I've been in the same room with him for sure. Um, when we did the Picard uh, premiere, we were all sort of hanging out at that um, that Star Wars bar afterward, and he just what what I remember about Gary Graham is that he has this kind of like sarcastic. Um, uh, sense of humor and to me that resonates with me I kind of get that sort of sense of humor um, and so Val, as a Vulcan was a character who kind of always talked with a sort of smirk on his face <laughs> you know he like he always felt like uh, it always felt like Soval knew more than Archer knew, or uh, you know the Vulcans knew more than the Federation knew, and Soval's um, delivery of his lines were just a uh, very Gary Graham esque to me. So to me, that was my favorite role of his. Now I know Jim's probably going to talk about Alien Nation, but um, I loved Saval as a Vulcan because it was like a a sarcastic, emotional Vulcan, but it made sense because in the context of that early Federation warp five engine world, you know, we sort of needed Vulcans to be the, the, uh, the nemesis to our archer. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and actually uh, Vulcans were kind of dicks at that time, but Saval kind of, he, he wasn't, he was the, prototype he was he was he was trying to he was uh, but not like in a really active way and sort of a standoffish way which i liked yeah i liked him and yeah in a one of my favorite television and they canceled it way too soon yeah come on way too soon <laughs> they didn't make one movie they didn't make two movies A nope. five movie canceled TV show. Obviously, the popularity was there. Why they canceled it, I'll never know. But I love Gary Graham as Sykes in Alienation. It's awesome. And speaking of Sons of Kirk, uh, he was in a, a band and uh, uh, they did Star Trek songs. And this particular song, Sons of Kirk, was uh, produced for the Gary Graham fan club. And here it is. Gary Graham and the Sons of Kirk. Never, ever 
And yes, that's Gary Graham singing and hashing on that lead guitar. Gary Graham will definitely be missed. And we have time for one last story here. If you guys don't want to know about Star Trek Discovery Season 5, I suggest you mute your mics right now because Star Trek Discovery Season 5 episode titles have been revealed, and I'm going to tell you what they are right now. So, Charles, you want to mute your mic so you're not going to listen. So the title <laughs> for <laughs> the 10th season, uh, the titles for the 10 episode 5 season the 10 episodes of season five have been revealed on the official site for the writers guild, which registers each scripts production for season five of discovery was wrapped up in late 2022 with writing completed earlier this year. The episodes are due to debut in April. All right, guys, are you ready? Here we go. Episode one is entitled the red directive. Captain Berman and the Discovery are sent to receive a mysterious 800-year-old Romulan vessel until the artifact hidden inside is stolen, leading to an epic chase. Meanwhile, Saru is offered the position of a lifetime and Tilly's efforts to help pull her into a tangled web of secrecy. That's episode one. Episode two is entitled Under the Twin Moon. Episode 3 is entitled Janal. Episode 4 is entitled Face the Strange. Episode 5, Mirrors. Episode 6, Whistle Speak. Episode 7, Iraq, Labyrinth. Episode 9, LaGrange Point. And the final episode to ever air for Star Trek Discovery, Episode 10 of Season 5 is entitled Life itself and that wraps up our podcast for tonight you guys can ponder what some of these episode titles might mean i hope that mirrors might be an episode that's going to set up section 31 with emperor Giorgio. maybe maybe not i'm just guessing but a lot of great stuff here and i for one am looking so much forward to discovery uh, season five because it's one of my favorite Star Treks, and I will be sad to see it go. All right, guys, that wraps up our podcast for tonight. I want to say thank you so much to the Leslie Hoffman for giving us a call and sharing some of her stories with us. Thank you so much to Leslie. I also want to say thank you to Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us. He had to to jet early, but that's all right. Thank you so much, Paul. And thank you so much to David for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, David. Sweet. It was awesome. Thanks. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us as well. Thank you, Charles. <laughs> thank you. Always always a lot of fun. And thank you, of course, to Eric for hanging out with us as well. Thank you, Eric. You bet, Jim. Literally always one of the highlights of my week. And we have another highlight coming up on Monday. You guys want to tune in because we're going to uh, – we're not going to book nook. We're going to audio file uh, Patrick Stewart's um, new memoir, <laughs> Making It So. So you, you that's definitely cool. – I, I yeah. love that we're doing a book nook that's all audiobook. That's, one of, that's a first. Yes. And, you know, with Charles and I as, like, heavy audiobook fans, it's for fun. Because <laughs> it feels unique. Definitely. 
Yeah. I've never. In fact, the book was so good, I listened to it twice. I know. I did too, actually, Charles. (laughs) To me, reading a book. Well, we'll talk about that on Monday. So we're going to talk. We're going to be audio filing uh, Patrick Stewart's book. And I have a clip to play from the book as well. And we're going to announce our winners of of the book, which I have right here. And I'll get out in the mail to our lucky winner. We have three runner-up. We're going to play the clips from our runner-ups, and we're going to announce the winner on Monday. So check that out. And next Thursday, Greg Sargent's going to be with us to play the Andorian security officer, Thon, in Star Trek Enterprise's first season episode, The Andorian Incident. As usual, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying to everybody, please stay safe and be good to each other. Remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Night. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal minds cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call and we simply do not care. Have a nice day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.